Welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast. Here you will find Dr. Cindy Elliser and Kat McKeever, researchers at Pacific Mammal Research, talking all about marine mammals. We will have a variety of ways to share information with you through discussing research articles and news stories, interviews with other researchers, and more. Join us to learn more about marine mammals and have some fun. Welcome to the Pac-Man podcast. Um, I'm Cindy. And I'm Kat. And this week we are doing another journal review. And this one literally just came came through our email. Mm-hmm. Brand <laughs> like, new. Yeah, Monday or Tuesday. We're like, oh, that's a great one. Let's do that one. And uh, it's porpoises. It's, it's porpoises, porpoises finally. We're doing a porpoise paper. Yeah. So we that was kind of the the why we ended up doing it. We're like, well, it's cool <laughs> and it's harbor porpoises. So that's kind of ideal. Um, so this is in Frontiers in Marine Science. It is uh, first evidence of retrospective findings of microplastics in harbor porpoises from German waters. And this is by Carolyn Phillip et al. Um, so this one's really interesting. And we did one a few, few probably weeks ago now mm-hmm. on microplastics. Yeah. And those dolphins, I think it was. So yeah, it now, was a while ago that we did that one, actually. Good point. Yeah. Um, and so this one now we're looking at actually at, at harbor porpoises, which, of course, is, is very important uh, for us since that's our main study animal. Um, but uh, also really interesting in the location that they're at in the German waters and the Baltic Sea in particular, which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so start off, what is microplastic? Exactly. Well, micro means small. How small, you ask? I'm glad you asked. Thank you. They are really small, less than five millimeters. That's the, I think, the definition of what a microplastic is. Yeah. Um, and there's various different levels of plastic debris now. I mean, it's unfortunately we're at a point where we can't just talk about plastics in the ecosystem. We have to go all the way from nanoplastics, which are even smaller than microplastics, mm-hmm. all the way up to basically like, you know, the, the pieces of litter and trash that we can visually see, like plastic bags or balloons or whatever. So right. at this point, we're looking at, evidence of plastics all the way down the scale um, in terms of size in marine mammals and marine um, creatures in general. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, like, we think of plastic and it's like, oh, it's the, you know, the rings for the cans, you know, the plastic rings, Mm -hmm. it's balloons, it's things like that. But we're really finding that there are more issues of these tiny plastic parts that can do damage on their own and could also possibly, you know, one of the things is that some of these plastics absorb pollution and absorb chemicals. Mm-hmm. So they could be, you know, doing a double duty of, you have plastic in you, but you also have these other chemicals that normally wouldn't have been there. Um, and so the, the important thing to remember uh, size wise, because when you get really small into micro things, it's really hard to, to grasp what this, what that really means. <laughs> yeah. It's like a billion dollars. I don't even, I don't, I can't. <laughs> I know there's a bunch of zeros. That's about the only context I have. (laughs) So it's like a lot of zeros on the other end of this, like before you get to the number. Um, But they are similar in size to plankton. Mm -hmm. And this becomes a really important point that we'll talk about, about how they're getting to the porpoises in the first place. Um, So keep a pin on that. But um, remember that that size reference, that it's very much like the the, um, zooplankton and phytoplankton that are floating around in the water that you can't see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And so... The one of the things here is that they, you know, it's assumed that there's accumulation in top predators. We assume, you know, that's we found that in many other chemicals, um, you know, that um, biomagnification, but also bioaccumulation, right? It accumulates in the body of an individual 
and then it can biomagnify up the food chain as you know all the smaller animals are eaten by the bigger animals and those bigger animals eat a lot of those smaller animals with all their loads so it this is one where it's like well we can kind of think that this is happening but we really need to document that it is and what is that level and what is the effect of the health on that individual yeah yeah so that's why that's important (laughs) Mm-hmm. And that's basically what they were looking at in this paper, too. They yeah. were kind of assessing the the general risk. They had three main um, targets, I guess, for this paper. Um, they were looking to assess the general risk of microplastic accumulation in harbor porpoises. Um, they were evaluating the potential health impacts of that on the porpoises. And then they were comparing individuals between the North Sea population that they had looked at and the Baltic Sea population. So let's talk a little bit about those two populations first, I guess, and just give people a little bit of context, especially if you're listening in the U.S., um, you might not have a lot of context as to where this is. I had to, um, I had to look it up because, I, I, I mean, I know kind of where it is, but, like, the map, it was, it, it was hard for me to read because they did the opposite of, of what color the land is versus the water. Oh, funny. Um, I hadn't even really noticed that. That's, that's true. That's really total, I could not, I was like, I cannot, it, it was just backwards to me. It was like a, looking at a negative film instead of a positive. Yeah. And so like, I really, I had to go look online. I'm like, oh, okay, this is where we're at now. Um, but oh, that's really funny. Yeah. yeah. I was like, maybe it's just me. <laughs> but the, um, the North Sea is, is one where the, uh, harbor porpoises uh, are ab- abundant and there's been a lot of research done and collaboration between countries within Europe um, to look at that population kind of as a whole. Um, and then so there's that's like on the left side of Germany, there's North Sea. <laughs> and then on the right side of Germany, there's the Baltic Sea. Mm-hmm. And Kat, since you're from over there, you can probably do a better job of it than I can. But they are two separate. And, and in particular, the Baltic Sea harbor porpoises are critically endangered. Yes. So basically, um, they are considered their own subspecies, effectively, um, because they are a closed population, which means that they're not interbreeding with any other harbor porpoises from any other location. Um, And because of that, they've actually become a little bit more uh, phenotypically different as well. Like they are a little bit darker than um, most other harbor porpoise populations. Um, We actually, there were several really interesting posters on this actually at the World Marine Mammal Conference in Barcelona a couple years ago. Um, And so that's one of the really important things about this study is they're comparing groups of porpoises, one of which is the North Sea population, which is like, like Cindy said, it's abundant, it's doing really well. And they're comparing that to this critically endangered closed population of animals that really they can't disperse in the same way, right? So that if you think about the marine environment, if you have a bigger ocean that you are dwelling in, <laughs> there's more room for things to mix around. There's more room for things to disperse. Um, if you're in, you know, you can imagine the ocean versus a lake, for example. Um, mm-hmm. Things are going to accumulate in the lake a lot quicker because there's, there's just less water movement and less water volume moving around in general. Yeah, so it's kind of like that the old adage, which is a terrible one, but dilution is the solution, right? <laughs> and that's not what we should do, but just the fact that you you will accumulate more in a smaller area that can't it can't diffuse out, it can't spread out into a wider area. Yeah, exactly. So again, especially important when you're looking at something like microplastics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are the levels the same? They're they're in you know, geographically, spatially, they're in a similar location-ish. Like Cindy said, they're kind of, each sea is kind of on either side of the country of Germany. 
Well, um, and it's interesting too because like they are technically connected because the it the Baltic Sea is not blocked off. No, that's from that's the North a very sea, good point. But it is enough that they the the porpoises are not moving up and around over Denmark to get to get through to right. It's a pretty narrow channel, I think. Yeah. Um, especially, yeah, it, it it gets a little bit narrowed through there. But yeah, I mean that's that's a good point. Like it's not it's not like it it is it's not a lake. Just for clarification, it right. is actually like yeah, an it, open but sea it, system, but but it almost is because the, in order for the water to get around that top part of Denmark and then right. in there, it's not going to mix a whole lot with that. So it's it they are effectively separate. <laughs> exactly, and I exactly. I thought it was very interesting too that one of the one of the reasons that they, in addition to the fact that there's two different populations of porpoises that live mm-hmm. in these two different seas, um, each sea is different in terms of the topography, salinity, right. and hydrology, as well as the ship traffic. Yeah. Um, so we can also also look at these environmental factors and see like, well, if there are changes in levels of microplastic between the North Sea and the Baltic Sea population, maybe some of these environmental or anthropogenic factors contribute to that. Right. You can maybe correlate them with like, oh, well, that's why that you see yeah. these differences. Exactly. Um, and the other important thing to uh, to note is that the harbor porpoise is basically the cetacean out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the only regularly occurring one uh, in the German North Sea, and it's the only one in the Baltic. Yeah. Which I thought was crazy. Yeah. I mean, I guess it kind I of mean, makes just, sense, but... Yeah, and it's interesting, too. Again, like, I, I grew up in Scotland, so, like, I grew up in the middle of the North Sea, quite literally, <laughs> um, on an island. But it's funny because, you know, up there in the, you know, kind of like close basically where I grew up is like closer to the Faroe Islands and the north tip of Scotland and we have a bunch of marine mammals up there yeah. so it's very interesting where it's still part of the North Sea but the German North Sea they really don't see much except for harbor porpoises it's quite fascinating right. that there's that much of a difference well and I guess it kind of makes sense because they, they the Germ, German border there is just is like this little nook with a little corner mm-hmm. that, that goes into so if you're going to have animals there it's going to be harbor porpoises because they're the ones that are ne- close to the coast and there yeah. really isn't like a open to the larger area for Germany there on that little, on their border of the North Sea. Yeah, pretty cool. So, yeah, so essentially, so, so obviously this is a good one to look at for these guys. Yeah, <laughs> to, yeah. To look at top predator loads of, um, of uh, uh, microplastics. So we're going to do some of the methods here, but we're not going to get uh, too deep into it because, again, it's all this chemical stuff. Yeah, um, this but, one was actually it was pretty straightforward and actually pretty cool. But mm-hmm. yeah, like Cindy said, we'll sort of we'll sort of um, pare this down to sort of just the really yeah the really interesting points of what they did here to get these samples of microplastics. So they used uh, stranded individuals because that that is the easiest way to get to uh, the intestines, which is what they were looking at. Um, they 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 used three criteria for choosing the most suitable samples. So they were looking at the gastrointestinal tract. So um, the, it had to be intact because if you if you have a the GI tract that's open somewhere, then that you're you're ripe for uh, potential um, contamination. Yeah. So it may not have been from the animal; it was from the water, and then you can't tell that they ingested it. And that's really what they want to look at. They want to know are these animals ingesting it, and then also are they pooping it out? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> poop is can tell us a lot of things. <laughs> um, they so they also wanted to to see that feces were present, so they could actually look at that. Uh, and that the individual was already weaned. So they want to make sure that the animal was actually feeding and wasn't just nursing because that would be a, a different, they would be looking at something different at that point. Yeah. 
Um, that would, that would be more like, is it being offloaded from the mother into the, into the, into the cap, which would be very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, so they found 30 individuals, um, and they had pretty equal between the North Sea and the Baltic. They had 14 from the North Sea and 16 from the Baltic. So I was impressed yeah. with that being very even. I know. Yeah. That was kind of, kind of unusual actually, especially in strandings or, or by caught mm-hmm. animals. It's unusual to have that many that you could use it or in each location. So pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. Cause I, you're, I mean, you're, you're, you gotta, you get what you get. So thanks purposes for being even. Um, so this brings up to the, the, the weird, I, this is one of the weirdest things I've ever read in a paper. Cause I, had, it didn't even occur to me that you would do this, but they, they got the intestinal samples and then they put them in a, a negative 20 degree cooler for until processing. And then they, they use what they, they put them in these little washing sachets, which I thought of you, Kat, because you always say sachet instead of like hot cocoa envelope. She's like, hot cocoa sachet. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's much more. So cultured, us, us scars. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so they put this in this washing sachet and then they literally put it in a conventional washing machine. I know. I love that. I just oh, thought that was awesome. Can you imagine? Like, hopefully they didn't do this at home. <laughs> that was the first thing I thought of. I'm like, wow, this would be so cool. You could run this experiment at home, but you absolutely 100% should never run this type of experiment at home no. or no one's ever going to let you do laundry again. No, it's like when I bring, you know, would bring dolphin poop back to put in the freezer as I was, you know, making its way to the freezer at the school and people were like, oh my God, there's poop in there. I'm like, it's in a container. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Out. Um, but yeah, I was like, they just put it in a washing machine. That's nuts. Yeah. Uh, and so these and sachets, it's really important to note that they did have a really, really tiny mesh. So yes. obviously they're trying to, they're trying to capture very small pieces of plastic, right? So their mesh size was, I believe it was 300 micrometers. Yeah. It's a mesh size of 300 micrometers in the outer bag and the outer bag has a mesh size of hundred micrometers. So you right. have two right. different levels to make sure you keep everything in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they did then, it, they put it in a washing machine uh, without yep. spinning it. Tuck it in there. <laughs> Right? 60 degrees Celsius. It's just, I, that was, I literally put <laughs> so exclamation cool. points next to this. I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. Um, yeah. So you don't need crazy uh, equipment sometimes um, right? for this. Uh, but they had an enzyme-based detergent um, and a conventional detergent that were used for um, basically getting the rest of the, any biomaterial that they didn't want in there anymore. They just wanted to find out what the, the plastics were. Right. Um, so they, and then they did... Um, to basically so then they have these fibers or these little plastic pieces and then they have to you know like look under the microscope and they used um uh what's the the fti spectroscope oh yeah yeah and then they they stained it too so that's the other really important thing they stained the the pieces yet with using nile red stains so that they could actually see them yeah so they're doing fluorescence microscopy enabled by the nile red so when you put it on there and it basically glows <laughs> you can actually see these so tiny cool. little pieces of things i know super and cool. they have some pictures later in the paper too they have some pictures of, of some of the samples that they stained it's actually really interesting to look at those yeah you know and i need to look at it actually under the um on the computer because i printed it out so it's black and white so it just is oh just gotcha black and white <laughs> no they're really they're really pretty yeah they're very cool um, so they basically did that and then they looked at it under those, that spectroscope to be able to identify them. Um, the other important point of the methods is that they do, as we talked about with the, uh, in the other paper, they have to do those procedural blanks. So they do this mm-hmm. whole entire process without putting anything from an, from the intestines into the sachets. 
um, to make sure that there's no contamination happening from the process itself or you, you know, your, your gloves or, you know, anything like that. Right. And they did make a point with this, that they used cotton gloves to prevent any sort of plastic pollution from using, you know, um, latex gloves or anything like that. So they seem, you know, they were, they were, they tried to be very stringent, I think, in their, mm -hmm. in their methodology. Yeah. And then um, when they, if they found stuff in the procedural blanks, then they subtracted those from the totals of the, of the ones that they ran through. So they make sure that they're really only counting the ones that you know for sure did not come from some kind of uh, contamination thing. And you're almost always going to get something because it's really hard to work in a vacuum to be able to yeah. just have everything be clear. So uh, they did a very good job of, of making sure that that was uh, as, as close to good, <laughs> as perfect as they could get it in not having contamination. Yeah. And I thought it was also really interesting too, to note just the level of just the fact that you can get contamination of these small microplastics from such a wide range of things. It just, it was kind of, I don't know. It just made me think about just how much of that we're around ourselves every day. You right. know, there were so many things they had to take into account and account for in their study. It's like, wow, yeah, we're just surrounded by these things every single day. Oh, I know. I mean, the things that you use that some of those little plastic pieces might come off like in your mm -hmm. gloves or yeah. whatever. Like, so, I mean, we're just, we're just shedding stuff everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, so that's, uh, that's pretty much uh, the methods there. So I think we are going to take a quick break before we dive into, haha, pun intended, <laughs> dive into the results in the discussion, which are actually quite interesting. So yeah. we'll be back in just a second. Okay, welcome back. I uh, hope you had a good break. We, we had a nice mm -hmm. little, little break there. <laughs> um, so now we're going to get into the results. So uh, I wanted to start off, um, they, they got the 30 samples, um, and they had 611 potential microplastics, then they took out the procedural blanks, you know, all that stuff we just talked about. And they, so they have 401 microplastics that were determined. And they found them in 28. Only two of the harbor porpoises had none in them. Yeah, pretty striking. Yeah, a lot. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, too, with other studies. Um, but it's pretty much like, yeah, everybody's got it. Great. Yeah. Um, they found four, four different uh, groupings of plastics. So the first one is polyester. And so I did do a little bit of, of research here on what these plastics are and what they're used oh, for. Oh, good job. Yeah, thanks. So I was like, I don't, I don't know exactly. I mean, it's just plastic, but what are they for? So polyester is polyester clothing. Um, there's it's fabric and textiles. It's you know not just clothing, but that's the the main the main use of it. And I I never really thought about it. I mean, I guess I did, but you know, you're like, oh, 100% cotton or you know, 50 polyester, 50 cotton. Like it is plastic, but you don't think about yeah. that because it's fabric. You don't. Right. It doesn't feel like a plastic when you're right. wearing it. So you don't exactly. think about that. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. Yeah, but it is. So the number one, the um, one that they found was actually polyester, which is interesting. Mm. Um, the second one they found was polyethylene. And this is one of the most widely used um, tens of millions of tons a year. Uh, films, tubes, plastic parts, laminates, bags, water bottles. That's gotcha. mainly what that's for. The next one is polypropylene. Um, and this was another very popular one. Um, a lot of packaging, like the plastic packaging that we all love to hate. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, textiles, uh, some automobile stuff. Um, but 
And so those are like the top three. And so actually it's polyethylene, polypropylene, and then polyester. Polyester is like the third most common behind those two in the general use of plastics. Oh, but, interesting. Okay. Yeah, but they but the polyester was the one they found the most here. So hmm. that was an interesting dichotomy. Um, and then the last one was pink chips. It was a poly, uh, let's see, a one pink chip, acrylic alkylate with kaolin and styrene. Yeah, and so I think they did clarify later on that that's um, consistent with varnish that's used on on boats. Yeah. And obviously, you know, boats are in the water. Paint it, is going to chip off boats. Varnish is going to slough off boat boats. <laughs> yeah. It's it's known that that paint comes off of boats like that. It's, it's a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. And it could also be from cars and stuff too if they get if something, you know, car door flew into the water. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, or a car um, in the water. Um, the other the other type of plastic, just real quick, that they found was uh, polyamides or poly. I don't. I think that's how you say that. Polyamides. So the top oh, right. three that they found in the porpoises were the polyesters, the polyethylenes, and then the polyamides. And then they found oh, two right, of the, the poly- polypropylenes right. and the paint chips. You know, I did not look with the poly. I didn't look at polyamide up either, which I should have. I'm realizing now. Amide. Oh, versus poly. Uh, polyamide tends to have. Ooh, that's just that's technical jargon. <laughs> so there, it looks like it's very similar to polyester. Okay. Um, because it, yeah, then polyester does not pill as much as polyamides and does not stretch or shrink out of shape. So, so it's another. All, yeah, all material. of these. Every, if you just look up polyamide, it goes. It's like, oh, you want to know about polyamide versus polyester? So it's a textile. Okay, got it. Yeah, I think it's like cool. a textile. Yeah, that so, makes sense. Okay, right. So that would be the most. Yeah, it makes sense that that would be the most common, um, or one of the most commons when they found. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So that's what they found, um, and they were, you know, looking at all the different uh, things here. First of all, between the two. Seas, they found more in the Baltic Sea. Yeah, so there were more more microplastics in samples mm-hmm. taken from harbor porpoises in the Baltic Sea compared to the North Sea. Right. So there, and there were that was significant. There were significant mm-hmm. differences. Um, but the share of fragments was similar across locations. So there was definitely more, but like the amounts and stuff, or the or the types, I think were fairly similar across it's just right in in the in the in the bs in the baltic sea <laughs> i know yeah some of the some i kept i kept cracking myself up with their um abbreviations in this yeah. paper it was really fun yes <laughs> <laughs> man um they didn't find any differences per year but again one caveat to the study is that there are only 30 samples so we can say some things about that with that kind of sample size, but all, obviously increasing sample size is going to increase the confidence of your results and what you can, um, what you can say about them. So yeah. much of this we can say like, well, there's, this looks like there's something here, but because we don't have enough samples, we can't statistically say uh, whether that is or not. So Right. And just to we, clarify that, they were looking at samples taken from harbor porpoises between 2014 and 2018. I realized right. I forgot to say that at the, at the start. So just did right um, now. Uh, we should say that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I thought that was quite interesting because it looked like there may be some some things going on there. But again, as you said, it's just there's not enough data, basically, to to be able to determine any significant trend. Yeah. And again, it depends. Like maybe you had 50 porpoises strand in 2014 but you had two in 2018 right. so exactly that's what you can do mm-hmm. um so they need more to be to see if there's any interannual differences in that um mm-hmm. 
I thought it was really interesting is that the, there's a consistent thing about females having the highest amounts, uh-huh. uh-huh. but they can't, they're not statistically significant. Yeah, so there, I thought that was no, very interesting too. Yeah, there's no difference between males and females, and there's no difference between adults and juveniles, but that may be an artifact of not having enough samples. Right. And can, they, said, they did say that the, in both adults and juveniles, the highest amount of microplastics were still found in females. Right. So, uh, yeah, both kind age of classes, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, adult 48 particles, juvenile 44 po- particles. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, yeah, between the males and females, between the, the um, adults and juveniles, it was always the female, adult females having the higher one. And we'll... Okay. We'll, we'll discuss the, that. We talked about <laughs> the, the health here. Um, so they did those basic, you know, overviews. And then, so then they looked at like, well, let's, let's look at this in regards to health. How is this affecting these individuals? And w- the, the lo- long story short, they realized that if the animal was in a nutritionally good state, they were, they were in active feeding and they were healthy in the regards to the fact that they were eating and they had a good amount of fat on them, they had higher loads than those that were not in good nutritional state. Yeah. And I thought it was very interesting that they did make that distinction between saying that that simply because the animal can still consume food and is nutritionally functional and healthy doesn't necessarily mean they are healthy overall. So they are really just looking at this in terms of like, it could eat, it could still function, it could forage by itself. It was, it was, you know, like you said, it had a good amount of blubber on it. It was right. fully, you know, nutritionally, it was okay. Right. It has nothing to do with like, they could have parasites, they could have some other infection, you know, that does not mean that they're in good health, but it means they're healthy enough that they're eating. And if they're right. eating, then it goes to that the, the way that they're getting it, they're not getting it from ingesting water somehow, which they mm-hmm. normally don't anyway, but you know, they're not getting it from somewhere else. They're getting it from the prey that they are eating. And remember back to the beginning when we said that the microplastics are the same size as plankton or in, in various ones, but um, so the you know fish are eating plankton, they are, those fish are going to be ingesting some of those microplastics. That's pretty much known at this point. Um, that they've, they've seen them in other fish and everything like that. So these animals are eating those plankton and eating the, the microplastics, and then the harbor porpoises are eating those fish. And they can eat a lot of fish, especially those smaller forage fish. So um, that's where that uh, is, is, is going. And so, again, it makes sense then if the animals are feeding. Um, so the ones that were found that were accidentally bicaught um, or affected by uh, basically asphyxiation, so they got a fish stuck in their throat, um, those were the ones that had the higher count because they were eating more. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was very interesting too, um, that they did observe that the microplastic burden in fish species in the Baltic sea mm-hmm. is higher than fish species in the North sea. Right. And it's by, I mean, the, the, the load that they had given, um, from these two papers that they referenced here in the Baltic sea, we're talking between 11 to 22% of microplastic burden in fish species. In the North Sea, they're talking 5.4%. So it's half. Huge difference. If not more, if not less than half, you know. Right. Um, So that's really, really interesting when we see that there was a higher microplastic burden in Baltic Sea Harbor porpoises. The fish there also have a higher microplastic burden. It's all making sense. It all makes sense, right? (laughs) So I tell my biology students, like, like if it sometimes the easiest answer is the correct one. (laughs) Just Mm -hmm. 
Um, so yeah, so it's, it's, can, but we have to connect these dots, right? That's the point, right? I mean, like, well, obviously yeah. that happens, but no, you need to say this because sometimes it doesn't, sometimes weird stuff happens. Yeah. <laughs> honestly, like this was a really, really quote unquote, like neat paper. Like honestly, the, a lot of these things did correlate with one another so, so cleanly in that respect. It was quite interesting. Yeah. And so, and actually when they compared with other studies, um, remember we said only two animals out of the 30 didn't have microplastics in their stomach. Um, and if you look at other studies, you know, so they had 93%. Other studies from Irish waters, 98%. Um, in Great Britain, it was 100%. Every single yeah. one they found had it. So it's, this is not a fluke. <laughs> Again, pun intended. Uh, <laughs> I'm on a roll. Oh, boy. Oh, man. Um, so it, but it's, it's the ubiquitousness of this, that they're, they're everywhere. And so if you have, you know, at least some of your prey is going to end up eating some of it and you're going to eat some of that prey. So how much you have is, is the question, not if you have it. Right. Yeah, exactly. At this point. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure that, you know what, I'm sure they're probably going to be doing stuff on, with humans. I, I think they've already done some. This, they have this, to say, that, yeah. Yeah. We have it because we eat fish and other things. So it's, we're, it's everywhere. <laughs> it's, yeah. like a, it's like a bad horror movie. <laughs> the yeah. microplastics are coming. And so I guess just to, to kind of conclude this, let's talk briefly about where some of these microplastics might be coming from um, mm. in these ecosystems. So one of the things that I thought was really interesting, if you think back to, and that was perfect that you did that research, Cindy, because that sets this up really nicely. So if we think back to what the polyester and polyamides specifically were used for, which was clothing, right? right. Um, one of the sources of microplastic particles is from washed clothes Mm -hmm. that are being the, the water is then treated in a wastewater treatment plant. Right. So one of their theories here is in terms of like why these, you know, why these particular microplastics are showing up more prevalently is that it, it could be that they are getting transferred from wastewater treatment plants. Um, the wastewater is granted it, it, you know, it is treated, but equally these things are so tiny that it's likely that quite a lot of them escape the treatment process Right. And that yep. ends up in the marine environment through rivers and, and various other types of runoff. Right. So thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And the other thing, that's the thing is, you know, people get angry at, obviously, if you're discharging sewage and whatnot, just directly into the water. Like, yes, that is awful. But we, we are still discharging stuff into it and we can't, we cannot get everything out of it. Like, there's yeah. really no way to do that. Um, at least with the technology that we have right now. So it's, it's kind of like, we got to do the best that we can. And can we do better? Yeah, probably once we know, and you know, now that we know that these things we, before we didn't know the micro, you know, parts of your shirts were coming off in little tiny micro amounts that you can't see. Right. Yeah. But so now we're aware of it and it's like, okay, well now we can try to do something about it, but there may be a limit of what we can do in catching these tiny, tiny, small particles beyond just not using them ever again. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and so that's the other thing, you know, they did note that obviously land-based sources are, mm -hmm. a, you know, presumably a large input to the marine system as well. Yeah, they said 80% um, of marine litter inputs are Yeah, land-based land sources, mm -hmm. yeah. And then the other one that they mentioned is potentially the fishing industry, um, just with their various materials and boats that are being used, a lot of the line is some sort of plastic polymer right. blend. Um, so that's a potential source of these mi microplastics in the areas as well. Right. Yeah. I just picked up a, 
uh, piece of fishing line from the field site this morning. Mm -hmm. Somebody left there. So um, it happens on purpose and by accident. Um, so mm -hmm. things are in the environment. Um, and we already talked about the the paint that was from um, uh, either, either you commonly used for your car or ship paints. So obviously it's 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 common that the um, uh, oh this was it was from the one in the North Sea, um, but it was likely it came from um, from a ship. Yeah, um, that goes into the ocean. Um, oh, it was interesting. They they showed they have seen in other places that paint chips have been found in Australian sea turtles and in pelagic fish. So again, it's this unintentional uptake of the prey eating the paint chip, and then that prey getting eaten by the the, the marine mammal. Yeah. So it is important, guys, to upkeep your boat if you have one. Right. <laughs> it does make a difference. Yes. Exactly. Um, so uh, one final thing they were talking about, about that accumulation on the food web. Um, mm -hmm. They, uh, oh, so we kind of already went over most of this. Oh, but I wanted to mention this part. Um, so they were talking about eating, right? Um, and I thought it was interesting that they, they had those harbor porpoises that asphyxiated on the solia, on the, um, I guess, I think it's common sole. Mm -hmm. Is that solia, solia? Oh um, yeah, I saw this one. Yeah, and so you know, we just did that paper on asphyxiation of the of our harbor porpoises over here. So it was interesting to see that noted um, that they also have some over there, but not by the same fish species that we have. Um, right. But they were talking about again. We were talking about them pooping it out. So you know, that's what another question is that you ingest it, but then what happens to it? Does it get absorbed in your body? Does do you poop it out? And then what does that do to the rest of the environment of how it cycles through? Um, mm -hmm. So they, um, you know, there's been some, some papers out that have shown that the harbor porpoises have to eat a lot. They have a very high metabolism. So in one of those papers, they claim that 5,000 individual gobies per day are needed for maintaining a good physical condition for harbor porpoise. That's a lot. That's a lot of fish, guys. <laughs> That's a lot of fish. Oh, man. Um, and the mean burden is 0 0.03 particles in each benthic fish. And so they did talk a lot that many of these are benthic animals. So that these plastics are not just uh, floating up, you know, they're floating in the surface, but then they're getting eaten by fish that then take them down to the, so they're going all the way through the water column. Yeah. Um, but they, um, they would have to t intake, um, uh, they would, the, the fish would intake 150 microplastic particles. Oh no. So they eat. Point, the fishes each have 0 0.03. They eat 5,000 fish, which means that the porpoise is eating 150 microplastic particles in a day. And the detected passage time of about uh, three hours for a harbor porpoise to poop. <laughs> I thought this was a funny part. Let's talk about poop. Um, so it takes about three hours to poop. Um, a harbor porpoise will approximately defecate eight times a day. If they're healthy and well-fed, eight yeah. times a day. There Which you go. I, I seems was not, like a lot. I was not expecting to find out how many times harbor porpoises poop in this paper. And so it was a pleasant surprise to There you learn go. Something. Now oh. we know what a healthy harbor porpoise stand, like, <laughs> right? standpoint is. <laughs> eight times. So, but the reason why that's interesting and why they did this is that if you take that 150 divided by eight, you get 18.75 particles per in, uh, egestion, so per poop. Um, and that's about what they found in the Baltic Sea Harbor porpoises. Right. Eight, so again, eight. that would indicate that these animals are pretty pretty well fed. They're eating regularly. Right. And and this also showed that they poop it out. 
Like mm -hmm. it, it is in their fecal material. So we know yeah. it's going here and it's going there. Now after that, once they poop it out, what happens? That's a different story, but we then know it goes back into the ecosystem. Right? Where it goes next, who knows? Yeah. Um, so, but again, it's an important thing to document so that we know, well, this you know particle that we found here could have gone through a harbor porpoise. It could have gone through a humpback whale. It could have gone, you know, through whoever before right. it reaches something else. Um, and so they did say that the, you know, they, they couldn't correlate it with parasite load saying that, you know, animals that ingested the uh, microplastics had a higher parasite load. Um, they could not link it directly to tissue damage, though there is some indication that microplastics can cause tissue damage in other species. Um, um, but they did note that the enteritis, um, which I think is inflammation of um, the intestines. Your enteric lining. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, is rare with only 9% of Baltic individuals in German waters affected by this, but they found that fairly commonly in these animals um, mm -hmm. in this study. So it's speculative that it, that it, that it could cause um, damage, but they, again, need more samples to, find, to figure that out. Yeah. Um, and there was no positive or negative impacts on pregnant females. They basically found three different ones that were really very widely. They was, one had four, one had seven, and one had 48. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So the microplastic microplastic load was not consistently more or less in pregnant females, in pregnancy, in, yeah. at least in the three three samples right. that they had. Exactly. So, and and that was an important one to understand because you know we talked about if you listen back to our our uh, podcast about the harbor porpoise asphyxiation and large fish eating, you know if they're get eat, they're eating more because they are pregnant and possibly lactating at the same time they may be more at risk for the consequences of eating those microplastics because they are, will be effectively eating more of them. Right. And, that and we did already say that there was, you know, a not significantly different amount, right. but consistently more females consuming uh, microplastics. Which again makes sense if they're the ones that are eating more. Eating more. And yep. their health is much more important to the population than males. Because one male can impregnate, you know, many different females, but each female carries, you know, however many calves she's going to have during her lifetime to give to that population. So right. if the females are, are disproportionately being affected by this, it can have a larger impact on the health of the overall population, which is really important for the Baltic Sea because they are critically endangered. Yeah, exactly. So end statement, Baltic Sea harbor porpoises <laughs> have some some tough stuff to go through and yeah, I'm kidding. we need to learn more about them and, and how this, how these, this affects them, um, and their health overall for individuals and overall for different populations. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's the, the, the main, the main end product. It wraps it up. Yeah. Okay. And like I said, I mean, I just, I thought it was really interesting where a lot of times when we think about some sort of, you know, external source impacting a, man, a mammal, especially a lot of times it's, you know, you think about the animals that are sick or unwell that are more predisposed to, to get this sort of, you know, a viral load or whatever. And it's very interesting just that like the animals that were actually being dosed higher were the animals that were capable of eating and consuming more. Yeah. I thought so, that was a very just, interesting. Just an interesting mm -hmm, and it makes so much sense. And yet it's, it's a little worrying because those are actually the healthy animals. Right. Um, so yeah. But so this it, is an open access paper too. So if you guys want to go read it yourselves, please do. It was actually very accessible. Yeah. I'll have the link up in the, in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think that is a really important point. Cause it was like, again, normally you think of that, like, oh, well the diseased ones are going to have a harder time. Their immune systems are lower and that's true, but 
these are the healthy ones that are being loaded more. And yeah. maybe they can take it, take more of it because they are healthy. But then if they get to a point where they're not and they have all this load on them, then, you know, that could be a big problem. Yeah, for so, sure. It's complicated. Yeah. Um, but microplastics are everywhere. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's the summary right there. That's the summary right there. They're everywhere. They're in the top predators. They're, um, it's from all the way down from the bottom of the food chain up to the top. So it's something that we really need to be aware of. And that's the point of these papers is to show that it's getting different places and um, where they're coming from and how we can possibly stop that. Because we can't stop it unless we know what they are and where, exactly. they're, where they're coming from. And so um, that's why these things are important. So, yeah. All right. Well, um, next uh, podcast will be another Marine Mammal highlight. So keep an eye out on our Instagram poll to help us decide who's going to um, be the winner. I think it's going to be the gray seal against something else. I don't think we've decided. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Correct. So you'll um, have to stay tuned. No spoilers except for the gray seal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because he didn't win last time, so we always have yeah. another chance. So exactly, uh, put that one up. Yeah. So uh, look at that towards the uh, end of the month. Um, we'll have that uh, up there on the Instagram, and of course, join us on Facebook and Instagram, um, and our YouTube channel if you like to uh, watch us as well as listen to us. <laughs> and we have other videos and stuff on there as well. So be sure to check those out. Um, but I think that'll do it for this week. We'll see yeah. you next. Bye. Bye. This was brought to you by Pacific Mammal Research, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Check out our website, www.pacmam.org, that's P-A-C-M-A-M, to learn more about us, our research, and the educational opportunities that we provide. Also, help us continue providing fun and educational content like this by donating today. Your help is how we can continue to do our work and share it with you. Thanks.